Father, we're so thankful that you've promised that you're in charge of all things. So this, this afternoon, as we spend some time together talking about Adventist education, may we understand that that is your plan for our church. We think of the two candidates that we have today to be commissioned. We're thankful for their commitment, for their dedication, not only to the classroom, but to you as their personal savior. And their commitment to share that, that relationship with the students they have in their classroom. May we also be counted in that group to share Jesus with everyone that we meet. In his name, amen. Who in the world is the Seventh-day Adventist school system? Who are we? Did you know that we have very strong academics in the church? We did a nationwide survey, a research project over four years, 50,000 students, the largest research project in private education yet to date. And we proved, proved that Seventh-day Adventist education has strong academics. Did you know that we're the largest private school system in the world? Did you know that? Now, some will say, well, what about the Catholics? Catholics are all diocesan-based. They're not a system. We have a true system. Early childhood, all the way through the university, we have a system. We're the largest one in North America, probably the world. Did you know that 100% of our full-time teachers are Seventh-day Adventists? I, um, I've served the last 10 years as the president of an international accrediting agency, National Council of Private School Accrediting, Catholics, Baptists, Jewish, um, 18 different groups, most of them religious, Montessori, um, Church of Christ, Assemblies of God, et cetera, et cetera, 18 different groups. Those leaders in those uh, religious systems see the Seventh-day Adventist Church as the strongest system in North America. They see us as the group to emulate. When I left um, that volunteer position as uh, the president of NCPSA, they hired me part-time to work in the office because they wanted an Adventist to be part of the system. Not only that, but they voted my replacement at the North American Division, Arnie Nielsen, as the new vice president of NCPSA because they didn't know how they could run an international accrediting agency without an Adventist. They'd never met the man, but they voted him, because he's an Adventist, as the new vice president. I think that's a, a, a strong statement of, what, of who they think we are. 30% of our children are in Adventist education. Is that a good number or a bad number? That's twice any other system in North America. I was recently asked to speak to 5,000 Catholic educators, and my assigned topic was, how can we get 30% of our children in Catholic education? We want to be like you Adventists. We beat ourselves up over 30%, and it's true, 70% are not in our system. And we're going to talk about that a few minutes today. I'm so happy that, that Brian, um, I had a, a slide program already, 
And I said to Brian, uh, totally jokingly, I have 45 minutes, right? And so he's given me 90 minutes, um, and I guarantee I'll be done before that. Did you know that we're the only private school system in North America that has 100% of their schools accredited? The, the Lutheran Church has about 8%. The Catholic Church has about uh, 13%. The Baptist Church has about 8%. We have 100% of our schools that are accredited. And what does accreditation mean? It means that our schools are upholding standards, and those standards include spiritual and missional standards. And we hold them accountable. If they do not hold up to those standards, then they are no longer an Adventist school. The only private system that has a denominational teacher certification program. In NCPSA standards, it says you have to have qualified people in the classroom. But nobody ever defines what quality is. The Adventist system has defined what quality is. And we hold our teachers accountable uh, for that quality. It's the only system that creates its own curriculum and is able to push that to the, lo to the local level. When I first became a VP at the North American Division, they were getting ready to do a new science series. They'd selected a committee, a secular textbook, to be used in Adventist classrooms across this division. I could not understand how we could put a secular, anti-Christian, uh, evolutionary textbook on every Adventist table, kitchen table. And so we spent six and a half million dollars and wrote our own curriculum and now is now used in every classroom in North America, a distinctly Seventh-day Adventist science textbook. We have pre-service teachers connected to teaching situations. Our system is one of the only systems in which we train our pre-service teachers in our colleges and universities to do what we want them to do when they get in the classroom. And if we have a new science series, we can train those teachers to use that science ser series in their pre-service years so that when they get into their, um, they get into the classroom, they know how to use it. We're gonna talk about bridges. There's lots of bridges. Michigan has some famous bridges, like the Mackinac Bridge. Do you know what a bridge is? First of all, let me, let me back up a bit. Why do we have Seventh-day Adventist education? Why do we do that? We spend $25 million at the North American Division every year on Adventist education. Is that a lot of money? It is in my household. It's a lot of money. Why do we do that? Do we do that so that we can have the strongest academics in the community? Is that why we do it? Are academics important? Absolutely. But that's not why we spend $25 million, is it? <clears throat> do we do it so we have a safe environment for our kids? Is that why we spend $25 million? Is a safe environment important? Of course it is. But it's not why we spend the money. Do we spend the money, do we spend $25 million so that our kids know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Is that why we spend $25 million? No, it's not. Is knowing Jesus important? Is it the most important thing that we can do? Yes. But it's not why we spend $25 million. Because we have strong academics in a safe environment where kids know Jesus, 
but it's got to be within the context of the Adventist church. Otherwise, we could send our kids to a Baptist school, and they'd have strong academics in a safe environment, and they would know Jesus, but they'd come out the other end a Baptist. The only reason we, ca- we have the right to exist as a system is so that, um, that our kids know Jesus in the context of the Adventist church. What is a bridge? A bridge is where you are to where you want to be over something you want to avoid. Does that make sense? Isn't that what a bridge is? It's over a railroad track, it's over a river, it's over a part of the lake, etc. Where you are to where you want to be over something you want to avoid. One of the things that a bridge is made of is hope. Hope is a bridge for many people. And this world needs hope today more than any other time in its history. Jesus is the bridge from where we are to where we need to be. Hope is missing in today's world. And we have an opportunity in Adventist education and in the Adventist church to provide hope to a hopeless world. The North American Vision's mission statement is to reach North America with a distinctive Christ-centered Seventh-day Adventist message of hope and wholeness. That is exactly what Adventist education is about, is hope and wholeness. But parents today have become consumers. They have, they have hoped sometimes for the wrong thing. Secular education provides a different kind of hope than we provide in Adventist education. So I'm going to talk about three kinds of bridges this morning, this afternoon. One, academics. Academics, many parents find academics as the bridge that they want for their children. And so they want academics, and what do they get? They get at the other end, as where they want to go is a great job or a great college. And they see that as the end goal of education. Other people see uh, social status as the bridge, and they want to be part of elite society. And they want to, uh, because I have a degree, I then can have uh, different kinds of friends, I can grow and uh, have elite society. But in the church, we think Jesus is that bridge. Jesus is where we are to where we want to be, and that's in heaven. And we need to make sure that our parents understand which bridge they are on and what destination they're going to get if they decide on a particular bridge. If they choose the academic bridge, they're not going to get to heaven. If they choose the, the social status bridge, they may, be, they may have a nice house and lots of money, but their children may not be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Is Adventist education expensive? That's not a rhetorical question. Is Adventist education expensive? But that's really not the question. The question is, is Adventist education too expensive? I preached in a, um, at a boarding school alumni weekend about a year ago, and the treasurer of the, of the school was sitting first couple of rows, and I said, I asked him from the pulpit during the sermon, what's the cost per student at this school? He didn't know, and I said, all right, get out your phone, we'll figure that out. 
What were your total expenses divided by the number of students that you close school with? Divide those two. Cost per student, $33,321 in that ballpark. Is that a lot of money? That's how much it costs for every student to go to school there. It's a lot of money. So then I said, I asked the students, all the students to come forward. The front two rows were empty in this Adventist church. That's an anomaly, right? They have the front two pews empty in an Adventist church. In this church, they were empty. So I asked all the students to come forward. And they came forward. I went down on the floor and asked them, is this school too expensive for your parents? And they all answered yes, very enthusiastically. So I said, well, let's fix that. You and I are going to fix that today right here in front of the congregation. Seventy percent of the cost of the school are salaries and benefits for your teachers that's cut their salaries. Oh, no, we can't do that. You know, that, that's, that won't work. You know, Mr. So-and-so has just bought a new car. Mrs. So-and-so has all these expenses. She works so hard, and she doesn't get paid enough. You can't do that. All right? So let's take, away their, let's take their benefits away. No more medical for them. Oh, no, they all stood up. Can't do that. Mrs. So-and-so is pregnant. Mr. So-and-so has cancer. You can't do that. And I said, well, there's 75% of your cost right there. I know we're going to cut the, the heat in the dorm to 50 degrees. No more heat in the dorm. No. Two meals a day? No. No computers? No. And in the end, they said, we understand that that's the cost of Adventist education. And it is fair. And I said, well, wait a minute. Your, your parents are paying about $16,000. That's what the rack rate is. And only one parent in that school was paying that. All the rest were getting some kind of subsidy. Your parents are paying $16,000, but how much does it cost to go to school here? How much does it cost per student? $33,000. Who's paying the difference? Who's paying the difference between the $16,000 and the $33,000? And I was quiet long enough that they came up with the answers. The church, the conference, donors. And I said to that group, and I think this is the message we have to send to parents and to students every single day. I said to that group of students, do you understand that your church loves you so much that they are paying, six, they're paying more than your parents are paying? Your church wants you in Adventist education so badly that the church is paying more than your own parents are paying to keep you in this school. Adventist education does cost. Is that cost ever going to go down? It is not. Unless we cut the salaries and cut the benefits, it's never going to go down. It's always going to go up. But there's another line called the value line. And some people have said maybe that's called perceived value. And so there's this cost line and perceived uh, value line. And when the perceived value line crosses the cost line, at this point right here, you have no sales. That's Economics 101. When the value is less than the cost, then that's zero sales, right? Nobody's going to pay more for something they value less. So it's the church's job, I believe, I believe with all my heart, Pastor Mitchell, it's 100% the pastor's responsibility to keep that line from crossing the cost line. 
it's 100% the pastor's responsibility to keep the value of Adventist education strong. Do you agree with me? Ah. You see, I believe it's 100% the pastor's responsibility. It's 100% the principal's responsibility. It's 100% the teacher's responsibility. It's 100% the parent's responsibility. Because if we only think it's half my responsibility, if it's only 25% my responsibility, then I can slack off 75% of the time. It's only when you take responsibility for raising the value of Adventist education yourself, when you personally make sure that the parents in that school understand the value of Adventist education that we're going to grow. Does Adventist education make a difference? We're going to talk about just four slides. Those that endured my um, seminars this week saw about 30 of these slides. Um, I have some victims on the stage here that can verify that. Um, I could go, I could do an hour, two-hour presentation just on does Adventist education make a difference. For instance, you'll see in the bottom, across the bottom, on the far left, no Adventist education. In the um, middle section is one to 10 years of Adventist education. And on the far right is um, 11 years of Adventist education. So we're going to look at four different um, points about does Adventist education make a difference. Now I have a, I have a laser pointer um, on here, but I can't get her on there to show you. So I'm going to point it here at my, in my computer. Can you see that? You can't see that. I think there's a lesson there somewhere for us as church members, sometimes we have great light that's very focused, but if we don't share it, then it's worthless. And this laser pointer is worthless. So you can see the the 58% there. I think that's a great number. 58% of students that went, that did not go to an Adventist school, no Adventist schooling, were baptized, are the regular attendants in this one. They attend church, okay? regular church attendance. That means that somebody has reached that young person somewhere. 58%. I think that's a great number. But if you start adding in Adventist education and you, um, you have between 1 and 10 years of Adventist education, it goes from 58% to almost 80%. And if they go 12 years to an Adventist school, it's 97% of, the, of those children are going to church every Sabbath. Is that a good thing? Does it make a difference? Because inactive, the, the orange part at the top, inactive equals leaving the church. Those are the groups that are leaving the church. Four and a half times more likely to attend church regularly if they attended 12 years of Adventist education. Now we're going to talk about public school and they graduated from public school, and they graduated from an Adventist academy. And we're going to look at uh, whether they are uh, baptized and attending, a member not attending, no longer a member, and never baptized. 37% of high school students are baptized and attending church. Again, someone has connected to that student. That's a good thing. 
but 38% are no longer a member of the church after already joining the church, and 18% were never baptized. Adventist graduates, 77%, 5% not attending, 13% no longer a member, and only 6% that were not baptized. Again, it's a huge difference between attending an Adventist school and attending um, another school other than Adventist. Paying tithe, twice more likely to pay tithe than um, if they went to if they graduated from an Adventist academy. Here's one. This is never joined the church, joined but left, and joined and remained. Fifty percent of those with no Adventist education joined the church and remained. And uh, five years out, no, eight years out, 98 percent of those that graduated after 12 years of Adventist education stayed in the church. What's our goal in Adventist education? Ellen White says the biggest goal in Adventist education is conversion of our, of our children um, into the church, and conversion equals baptism. I'm here to tell you that the great controversy is alive and well in Adventist education. We deal with it all the time. Are Adventist schools perfect? Are Adventist schools perfect? Are you perfect? Well, wow, we're not. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. Is Adventist education the best alternative that we have as church members to make sure that our children know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior in the context of the Adventist message? The answer to that is yes. Testimonies of the Church, Volume 6, page 127. Satan has used the most ingenious methods to weave his plans and principles into the systems of education and thus gain a stronghold on the minds of children and youth. It is the work of true education to thwart his devices. We are under, we are under solemn sacred covenants with God to bring up our children for him and not for the world, but to love and fear God and to keep his commandments. Most earnest attention must be given to the education which will impart a knowledge of salvation and will conform the life and character to the divine similitude. It is the love of God, the purity of soul, woven in like, into life like the threads of gold that is our true worth. The work of education and the work of redemption are one. I have a real burden about this. Um, I say it all the time. I've said it at year-end meetings many times. I have a real personal burden. I'm going to share that burden with you. Um, there are five distinctive do doctrines of the church that are different from everybody else, right? There are no other churches that have these five doctrines. One is the Sabbath. What are the other four? State of the dead? The what? The sanctuary? And that's relevance to the church? The state of the dead? The what? Spirit of prophecy? Ellen White? And what's the fifth one? Uh, there are lots of churches that believe in the second coming. The health message, um, the Mormons, the, the Muslims, they don't drink, they don't... Nobody gets this one. It's the remnant church. There's no other denomination that believes that God is building a remnant that, that is going to be his representatives on this planet to represent him in end time. So those are the five distinctive um, doctrines of the church. 
If we lose those five doctrines, we will become like any other church. Um, We'll become just like a Baptist church or a Lutheran church or anybody else. These are the five that, that separate us from other denominations. We ask about these five doctrines every year when we do a value genesis uh, study. Every 10 years we ask, you know, all the 28 fundamental beliefs, you know, what are the students' understanding of those in relationship to their life? And in the last 30 years, the last four have gone down every single time. They're now down in the single digits. Only single-digit people, uh, children, understand the sanctuary and its, its relevance to the church. Or to the state of the dead. What do they see when they play a video game? Shoot, 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 they die, they get back up again, right? They watch TV, they watch their movies, and they see those spirits coming back and, and talking to you. They do not understand the state of the dead as we do in the church. Ellen White and the Remnant Church, we have lost two generations already to these four distinct doctrines. Are we going to lose another generation? Are we going to have three generations out there that don't believe in these four doctrines of the church? The four doctrines that are going to keep us unique as a people. Where are we teaching those doctrines? I met with I did, this is my second camp meeting in a row. I met with all the pastors of another conference. And I said to every pastor of that conference sitting there, when's the last time you preached a sermon in your church on the state of the dead? No hands went up. What about the sanctuary and its relevance to Adventism? Not a hand went up. What about Ellen White? Not a hand went up. If we're not preaching about it in our churches... And our, our families, our young families, we've already lost those two generations. They're not doing it in family worship if they are having family worship. We're not doing it um, strategically in Sabbath school or in Pathfinders. Where in the world are the 70% of our children that are not in Adventist education going to learn about these five doctrines? Where are they going to learn about it? We as a church have to take this seriously or we're going to lose our distinctiveness as a people if we don't, dis- don't share these doctrines with our young people. We have two teachers that are the heroes of the Adventist church, human heroes. Our hero ought to be Jesus. I mean, in reality, we, we know that. But these individuals work long hours without many breaks. They share their best friend, Jesus Christ, with their students every single day. 180-day evangelistic series. It's the longest evangelistic series in the church. There are those that want to, um, to have a Mormon model of education in which you build a, a building across the street from the public school and you let the kids um, go for an hour to go over and get some religious training and come back. On Wednesday, I went down to, to, it, down to Flint to meet my best friend from high school, from public high school. He went to Holy Rosary an hour a day to get religious training and then back to the public school. You see, I think that's that's doing our children a lot of harm. They hear one set of values in the public school and we try to teach them another set of values in Adventist school and they're not, they're not, they don't have the ability to differentiate 
between those two value systems. I have a whole sermon, and I'm not going to preach it this afternoon. I thought I'd get an amen. In 1 Samuel, it talks about, um, talks about David and Saul, and, and just before David and, and Goliath's story, talks about um, the, the skirmish between the Philistines and, and Israel. And they looked across the, the valley and they saw 30,000 chariots and men, the sands of the sea. And they were on this side wondering what in the world we're going to do in order to, um, to defeat this army that's against us. And then all of a sudden, the, the whole story changes. It talks about how many people and about how Saul's men were afraid and they went and hid. And there's only a few left. And, and you know the story. And, and then the whole narrative changes. Just this abrupt change. It's no longer talking about this war that's about to happen. And it says that the Philistines had taken away all of the blacksmiths out of Israel. And there were no blacksmiths left in Israel. Well, what in the world does that have to do with this impending war? The whole idea is the only two swords in, in Israel were, um, were Jonathan and Saul. Those are the only two swords in the whole country. How do you... I made the mistake one time. I was speaking in the Ukraine, and I was telling this story. And I said, how would you feel if there were... 10,000 Russian tanks lined up across the border. And all you had are plowshares and, and, and pitchforks to hold them off. And my translator leaned over and said, I'm not saying that. Because it just happened a few months before. The point is, if we take away the tools that our children have to fight the great controversy, we do not give them the tools to fight the battle, the battle is lost. How can we send our children to the enemy to be trained and expect them to stand in difficult times, in end times? These teachers are committed to helping their children to become faithful Seventh-day Adventists, to become good citizens in this world, to become successful in this life. I'm going to close with a story. I tell it every time I get up front. I believe in this to my soul. I'm a fisherman. I enjoy fishing. I love fly fishing. But I made a decision a few years ago. It was a tough decision, Jim. I mean, I agonized over this decision for months. But I made the decision, and I made a vow, and I've kept that vow. I no longer fish in swimming pools. Why don't I fish in swimming pools? Because there's nothing there to catch. See, I believe in my heart of hearts, in my very soul, that spirituality is caught, not taught. Spirituality is caught, not taught. We teach religiosity, we catch spirituality. Unless our teachers, I'm sorry, and preachers, that our teachers and preachers have something to catch, that they're infectious for Jesus Christ, that just being around them, people say, I want what you have. Unless we have teachers and preachers that are infectious for Jesus, we ought to close our doors. People ask me all the time, how do we fix the system? 
And I always say, the way we fix the system is to have living streams of water in every classroom, in every pulpit, in every office. If we were to have teachers and preachers that had something to catch, they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And these two teachers have demonstrated that commitment of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that they're infectious for Jesus, that they have something their students want to catch. And so I want to um, support them and tell them that they are the last defense in the Adventist church. Adventist education does make a difference. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.